even if you don't have a buck in daylight, you know, you want to be there when he does. And that the most likely time for him to start moving in daylight is a cold front or right after a cold front passes through if you want to get more specific. Hi, everybody. This is Bill Winky, and I've got Jared Mills and Mike Reed with me today on the Hoyt podcast. And we're going to be talking about hunting October whitetails. And uh, we'll just kind of see where the conversation goes from there. But as a lot of you know already, when I was working with Midwest Whitetail, Jared Mills and Mike were part of the team. So we've worked together for many, many years. And I've got a, a feel for how they hunt, some of the bucks that they're chasing. I've been watching the episodes and, and kind of keeping up to, to date on that. Uh, so we're going to maybe drift into those directions too. But let's kind of start out with a, like a broad... Uh, brush on October whitetail hunting and uh, since I'm the host this time I get to ask the questions so either one of you guys maybe I'll start with uh, I'll start with Jared and uh, let me know Jared kind of your thoughts on on hunting whitetails in October and then we'll move to Mike and and uh, and then that should spur some conversation and we can dig deeper yeah so yeah, October hunting is tough because it's it's one of those things in the back of your mind. You know there are better days ahead, um, but it's also that you finally get to hunt. You've been waiting all year for this, so there's also part of you who wants to dive in and get in a tree. So for me, it's a constant balancing act of do I hunt, do I hunt the fringes, do I just stay out of it completely until late October. It's an ongoing battle every year, and um and honestly in my experience too there's so many other factors of course we always talk about the october cold fronts and the importance of of keying in on those but even property to property or buck to buck even you know some some factors dictate how aggressive you should be in october um you know depending on uh the the age class of bucks you're targeting how active they are um all, all that type of stuff really dictates my strategy of of when I want to dive in and, and really start hunting hard. But for the most part, the first part of October for me is, is, is spent playing it safe unless we get a, an October cold front. And, and we can go over that, but that's uh, we all know that's one of the, the best times to hunt this time of year. Yeah, so let's uh, we'll come back to that and just kind of give me your overview sense too, Mike, so that everybody has kind of a, a, a basic starting point for where this conversation is going to go. Yeah, as Jared was saying, I mean, there's a lot going on in October. I mean, from the beginning of the month to the end of the month, there's lots of things changing. But, you know, as far as, uh, you know, the early part of the month, you know, I'd like to run trail cameras. And uh, as he was saying, what deer might make a difference on what's going on? Like last year, I'm hunting this buck called Turkey Foot. He was daylight on 28th of September, 29th, 30th, 1st, 3rd of October. You know, those deer are coming into the turnip plot every night. It makes it easy to go in and hunt them. Um, whereas other years, they're nocturnal. I'm certainly waiting on a cold front. And then and my favorite time of year to hunt is the end of October. Uh, as we get to the middle of the end, and the pre-rut starts kicking off. And, um, you know, so there's a lot going on in October. And I try to use trail cam information to help me make decisions as to what I'm going to do on my farm. Okay, so let's dive into that a little bit deeper. And... Uh... I always figure October is really just a series of decisions that you make to balance your impact versus the possibility of seeing a buck, uh, you know, a daylight active buck. And I have, you know, in my own strategy, I have kind of like green light uh, points. Like there's a there's maybe a couple different things that I call green lights in October. So for you guys. Uh, what are those green lights? Because clearly we don't want to go in there and spook these deer. We don't want to hunt them when they're not moving. We don't want to ruin our chances for later in the season when these bucks are more active. Um, so we have to really kind of scale back. But there are those moments when, you know, it's sort of like, you know, you, you wait, 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 and then attack. Um, what are those green lights? So uh, either one of you guys just jump in on that, and that can be our conversation here for a few minutes. Yeah, for me, I mean, I'm, number one is is very obvious. One would, would be either daylight trail cam photos or just daylight sightings. If you're if you're doing some scouting from a distance, 
um, that's the most obvious information to dive in, dive into. Um, but two, number two would be the cold front as I referred to earlier, because that's a time, even if you don't have a buck in daylight, you know, you want to be there when he does. And that the most likely time for him to start moving in daylight is a cold front or right after a cold front passes through, if you want to get more specific, um, in my experience. So those would probably be the top two green lights in October for me. Yeah, so so touching yeah, on that, I would agree. I mean, yeah, I would say I would agree. I mean, we, we joke about not waiting for that that first uh, picture, that first daylight picture. You know, knowing what their tendencies might be, and you get a good pressure change or a nice uh, cold front coming in, high pressure. You know, you can about predict that that's the best chance of seeing a mature buck on his feet. You know, before the pre rut in early to mid October, and then if you mix that in October twentieth and on you're really looking at some uh, solid activity typically. So that, that brings up uh, two questions in my mind. The first one is, you know, Jared kind of touched on it in that saying we hunt cold fronts. That's a pretty general term. Um, and, and like I said, he touched on it. So what are the, the time frames around that cold front that you key on? And, and you know, go ahead, Mike, too, as, as, as we develop this. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to. I look look at the pressure changes. I mean, a, a lot of times the time leading up to the front is really good, and then the time on the back end of the front. You know, not necessarily during the front, uh, even though I've seen good activity in all three phases of that. But as the pressure really starts to rise, and that temperature starts to drop, you know, it tends to get the deer up on their feet and moving. And uh, in early to mid October, I think if you're, you know, I still tend to focus on afternoons and hunting a food source. You know, the deer are generally staying pretty tight. They're, they haven't started covering a lot of ground yet. They, they have their bedding area, their food source. They're, they're not moving around a whole bunch. And so whether it's acorns or turnips or whatever food plot you got, you know, it gets them up on their feet a little bit before darkening the food plots so you can get a chance. Yeah, we, we always talk about October cold fronts. And, and in your head, you think about cooler temperatures. But, you know, a, a front moving through comes with a lot more factors than just the temperature dropping you got the barometric pressure you got uh wind changing sometimes it comes with precipitation uh so you have all those things it's just the the temperature drop is the most obvious thing that you walk outside you notice a big temperature drop you don't always feel you know the, the pressure changing but it, it's a combination of all those things that that really make the hunting good and in my experience i would say my if, if you were to break it down into three things my favorite time to hunt is right after a front passes through when, as Mike referred to, that pressure is rising. Um, the second favorite time to hunt would be right before it hits. And then my least favorite time to hit would be right during the front. Um, in my experience, you just get a lot of gusty, swirly winds and, you know, things like that that make the hunting tough right during when that front is passing through. So my absolute favorite time is right after if the, if the front passes through in the middle of the night, I love hunting that first morning. If it passes through during the day, that first evening uh, can be really good too. So right after the front is my, my favorite time. So how long do you think that lasts? I mean, let's say early October versus late October, uh, a cold front went through. What do you what do you got to work with there? A day? Is it is it a, a morning, an evening, and a morning? Uh, and I'm sure it depends upon how long the cold snap lasts, but... Uh, that activity spike is still a spike, even if the cold front carries on right. for a few days. Um, what's your experience on really what your time frame is? I would say each each hunt, to, in my experience, is just a, a decreasing amount. So you know that first morning is good, then the evening is maybe not as good, but still good. The following morning is, is good, but not as good as the previous evening. Um, so it just it it slowly decreases but i think you do get a little bit of carry from the front into it for a day or two i guess in my experience where it's still pretty high activity levels yeah yeah i would agree with that too i mean but you know 24 hour i mean you sort of see obviously right after it comes pressure on the rise you get this big giant you know you get a great uptick in movement and uh yeah i would agree that that really hard spike happens in that first day probably and, and it just trickles on down i think it was a couple of years ago we had a, a cold front every weekend 
in October. Was that two years ago or was that three years ago? And and there was just a, a ton. Last year was kind of like that too. Yeah, there were a lot of yeah, really, really the last two years in October. Really, I felt like yeah, yeah. I think that yeah, the you, last two years have, have been phenomenal. And, and people don't take enough advantage of that, I think, and it's partly you know my fault and and you know others in the media just focusing so much on the rut and uh, people kind of overlook the opportunities in October but gosh last year I mean I killed on October 29th and, and I know that you guys had action in October and it was really pretty poor in November uh, so some years October is mm-hmm. better than than November just because of that uh, and so it, the uh, so now let's look at like early October versus late October, and then we'll kind of move on a little bit out of this and, and, and get into some other topics. But uh, personally, I don't usually have much success in early October. I can count on one hand, probably only on a couple of fingers on one hand, the number of mature bucks I've killed during the first two weeks of October. But boy, that second half, it seems like things really start clicking. Uh, is that kind of what you guys see too? Yeah, and kind of going back a little bit where you are just talking about um, the strength of October and, and kind of being undervalued, it's also the best time, in my opinion, to kill a resident buck or a local buck um, because November can be a wild card. So it kind of comes down to what your goals are. If your goal is just to kill any mature buck, November is probably the better time frame. Um, but to kill a buck you know about that's on your property, it's so hard to beat especially the late October timeframe, but just October in general, if you key in on those cold fronts. Um, so yeah, I, I think like Mike alluded to, if you get a cold front in late October where you're also combining that with the pre-rut activity, that's just a lot of things working in your favor for a buck to, to be up on the speed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's my favorite time to, to hunt. You, you time up a, uh, pre-rut late october hunt with a cold front boy it's hard to beat that but going back specifically to the question you know the first half the second half really and I, i'm i don't get in there very deep usually in early october so i've never the only bucks i've ever killed in the first two weeks of october have been ones that the trail cameras were just showing tons of daylight activity so then i therefore made a move you know it's kind of like last year with turkey foot um i saw him uh i think it was the eighth and then ended up shooting him on the 16th. And both movement patterns were, were spiked by cold fronts, but he was also just very, very active, homebody buck. I think he just, I was, my farm was his home core area, and he just was a buck that liked to get up and move around. Similar to, um, you know, I think you've had some bucks on your farm back in the day that were like that. But, uh, you know, the last half of the October, you know, that's when you're going to get the majority of them, even if they weren't doing that. You know, that just gets them up on their feet. They're starting to spray. They're starting to look for that first available doe. And, you know, I have way more luck then. Yeah, and I... One of the things that... I was going to say, one of the things that I just love about hunting in general is there's so many factors that can dictate some of this and the quality of hunting. Like, I'll give you one example. I have, uh, like, a 70-acre property, not very big, that I run cameras on, really don't hunt it very often. Um, but for whatever reason, there seems to be a lot of bucks and, and they're very, like, it seems like they're very active right now, both morning, evening, daylight, doesn't matter. It's been so hot the last week or two. And this is, it's been peak activity and very, a lot of four-year-olds in daylight, um, including one much older than that. But I think even property specific like that can dictate. I think there's a lot of competition going on right now. They're, they're being very t- territorial. They're just tearing up scrapes. Like I said, a lot of daylight activity, but I think it's the dynamic of that many bucks in a small core area, just trying to sort everything out right now. So you get a situation like that and it can go against everything that we were just talking about. So that's, that's just one of the beauties of, of doing this is we, we talk about all these general things and you can draw general conclusions, but there are times like that when, you know, some of that goes out the window and you just, that with that intel, you just jump on it. So are any of those bucks that you're trying to kill? No, it's more, uh, I'm trying to get a family member on, on one of them. Uh, not a deer I'm going to go after right now anyways, but 
it, it's pretty cool to see that based on all my other properties just absolutely dead cameras are dead uh, unless it's just smack dab in the middle of the night but then you got this property that's just on fire right now for whatever reason and the, the bucks are just you, on you can tell in the pictures they're running each other off the scrapes and huh. i mean it, it's cool to see um such a such a opposite or such a contrast of the situation of what we're seeing on other places yeah yeah the are there yeah. lots of acorns in there do they have like a heavy local yeah. food source there yeah there's a lot of acorns but i mean and, and there's still standing ag fields standing corn ag fields you know right next to the bedding so uh, good food sources but it's again it's a small property a lot of pressure around it all that type of stuff. I just think that, and it ha, it's not like this every year. I guess I should clarify on that. It's not like that every year, but right now, there I'm getting probably two or threefold bucks to those on on trail cameras. Um, so there's just a lot of bucks. I think in in similar age class, and it's just making them really active and kind of territorial, trying to sort everything out. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You don't see that very often. I know. I used to get so frustrated. I'd run camera. I'd start usually about the fifth, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh of of September, and run right on through into the middle of October, and all through September, it's like oh, daylight pictures of these shooter bucks, all excited, you know. And then October one comes, and they just disappear. And uh, it's a physiological change, typically. You know, it, it's not a, it wasn't yeah. hunting pressure. Everybody thinks oh, they know that the hunting's coming. They don't know the hunting's coming. Um, some of these deer have never hardly been hunted, you know. So it's just the way they're wired and it's a dang frustrating thing too because it happens every year and it's not just me because i get emails from people and i know you guys do too it's like where did my bucks go um you know it, they disappeared mm-hmm. you know and, and so the so the question is uh where did they go you know and, and uh you know i've asked biologists that question and you know i don't want to dominate the conversation so let's kind of talk about you know uh what happens to these bucks in October and where they go. And like you talked about, it's dead on all your other properties except that one. What does that really mean? Did the deer leave? Uh, if I'm the guy sitting out there that's got, you know, a 120-acre family farm to hunt and my bucks disappear, should I look for a different spot? You know, what what does it mean in October when these bucks disappear? Well, I think a couple of things could be happening one they could have shifted somewhere else to where they spend the majority of their fall time and it doesn't mean they won't be back but they could be you know spending most of their area in a different core spot um and that's another thing that i'd point out for people that are trying to base a lot of what they're seeing on trail camera is you hear all the time all oh, my bucks are nocturnal my bucks just you know, smack that middle of the night well, that could be the case, especially when the weather's hot, but it also could be that you're just not close enough to their bedding area because I, I do think deer move a lot more in the daylight than we realize. Um, and sometimes it's just getting closer to where they are moving in daylight. So, uh, you know, I, I would caution guys to keep that in mind when they're really focusing on what their trail cameras are telling them. Um, but the other part, to go back to your question too, is, you know, it could be the bucks are especially mature bucks that have been around they know the game they're conserving their energy for when when it matters you know later in the month and into november they have no reason to move around a lot right now especially if they've already established their their kind of core territory and their dominance you know they don't really have a reason to to get too excited until a couple of weeks go by yeah what what about you mike what have you yeah that, that's another thing what, that i think about you I think there's a lot of, you know, variety, like we've been saying, every property's a little different and all that, but you certainly, that sort of transition from summer range to fall range, I think it happens sort of over a broader time frame on mm-hmm. some properties. You know, like we're still getting, it, it might, it's the second half of September, first half of October, there's deer that are shifting over and figuring out their areas. Uh, you know, I think the food sources really matter. Um you know, I think as far as if people are basing that intel or my bucks disappeared based on trail cameras, you know, unless you got a trail camera on every five acres of your property, yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of places they can hide from you. And um, mm-hmm. I've got properties that I've been on for a long time, so I know where some of these 
community scrapes are, and the deer use them year round. You know, right? So I've got these bucks. I got pictures of them every single month of the year, and uh, you know, some of those things they never really seem to go dead. I think there's all these little factors that might affect whether or not you're actually getting trail camera photos of them. But I think I think food source is important, and then I think that fall range. I mean, they they're deer that are just moving around well into October. And then, obviously, when the pre-rut kicks off, you really start seeing who you're going to be able to hunt over that four-week period of end of October and early November. Yeah, it's kind of... There's a reason kind of, it's a difficult question to answer, huh? Of, yeah, because <laughs> they're hard to kill. <laughs> the uh, And that's been my experience, too, with uh, the home range or the fall range. Uh, some bucks make that move really quick, you know, and some don't really move that much from summer to fall. And others it seems like it's not until like you said the middle of october so i always feel like you don't really know for sure what you're hunting until about the middle of october and granted they can still move in and out even after Mm -hmm. that but uh, generally speaking you're going to find that shuffle lasts a lot longer than what we think you know it's a it's a six week uh process where they sort out where they're going to live or at least where they're going to rut and uh so you have to be patient, and you can't assume too much just because you're not seeing a lot on camera right now. And I think that's probably one question I get more than any other is, you know, my my bucks disappeared. You know, what am I going to do now? And and you're like, well, gosh, there's so many variables involved, but probably they're still around somewhere. They just aren't moving as much. They aren't moving as far. They're just kind of yeah. their, their range Don't is much smaller. That's what you should yeah. do. <laughs> Yeah, I just go out there and give it a go. Uh, but uh, <laughs> l- let's uh, let's see. Bill, yeah. To to throw a question back to you and you too, Mike. You know, this year for whatever reason has seemed a little bit off to me as far as bucks returning. And Mike and I have have seen that on the farm we share, but I've also seen it on almost every property I hunt. We, I know it's not even it's it's October fifth today, but it's still not mid October like we talked about. But for whatever reason, a lot of the deer that were here by now in previous years are not here yet. And I know they can't all be dead. And I, I'm trying to just kind of figure out what it could be, what's different about this year. I know we're in a pretty pretty good drought right now, so you know they could just be in different areas. I don't know if that's dictating it or not, but something. I don't know how, how much you've been running cameras, Bill, but um, something seems off this year. Something seems just like it's a little bit behind, like a week or two behind where we normally are as far as bucks shifting and their activity levels too. Yeah, and, and I don't know. Um, I just got back from British Columbia a couple of days ago, so I've been gone for a month, so I haven't got a camera out yet. Um, and I've seen that, I guess, other years. Um I think it's just a patience game. You know, I think all of that gets sorted out. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking it's weather related, it's food source related, it's, uh, you know, like you say, the drought, maybe there's water sources that they're sticking closer to, you know, I don't know. But my guess is if they were, if, if your property was their fall range last year, there's a 70% plus chance that it's gonna be their fall, fall range again this year. Um, Right. It's just a question right. of when. And, you know, I got that data. Mark, Mark Drury tracks this stuff really close. And uh, I asked him this question one time, and he had it down to the number of, you know, how many bucks shift their fall range, you know, during during their maturity. And he said that uh, less than 30% on any given year will shift their fall range. And they may not even shift it by much. Um, so I found that interesting mm-hmm. that he had it right down to the number. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, to answer th- that question and then the question of the guys that say, what happened to my bucks? It's like, I think the standard answer is, you know, just be patient. You know, this is going to work its way out unless there's a dynamic that's unaccounted for, like dogs or, you know, the, the farmer is more active or somebody's in there cutting timber or something like that. You know, those could be those outside influences. But other than that, I feel like the deer end up sorting it out. It just takes longer some years. Yeah, I, I, and I'm confident the majority of them will show back up. I was just curious as to the reason why this year seems to be taking a little bit longer than normal. 
<clears throat> yeah, Jared, it's it's yeah, very. I I've spent yeah, a lot of time thinking about this here, but... because this year does seem to be different, so different, right? So all these properties, the, mm-hmm. uh, and we watch all these deer, and like just on my home farm, you I can look back, and most deer year to year show up almost to the day that they did the year before. So that's usually the pattern, and then this year I've got four or five different four or five year old bucks from last year that still haven't shown back up that have been there every year the last three years. And I think, well, what's the difference? You know, you think about crop rotation, you think about food in general, water, cover, and external pressures that might affect it. And controlling for all those things, I mean, the water source hasn't really changed on that farm. The crop rotation, you know, it's been there two years ago. The cover is great, the pressure is low, and so I'm just, uh, it's very interesting that this year does seem to be different in general compared to everything else. And, uh, you know, I know people have documented these mature bucks shifting over a little bit, and some of my property is small enough that it could shift off to a different farm, but, you know, not not all five of them. So it'll be interesting to see when they do show up and just start comparing that in the future if we see this every so often. So, yeah. So touching on that, Jared, just to see if it's, just Mike's place or if this is a general trend you're seeing the same thing on other properties too yeah absolutely so we're, we're seeing it on the the property that Mike and I share and I'm seeing it on almost every property I have permission to hunt mm. not every property but, but the majority of them for sure are just not the same as they usually are at this time of year and obviously we know that there's not that many not all those bucks got killed a lot of them we, we found sheds to or whatever um, but they, they're just taking longer than they normally do. And th- I'm sure this isn't a reason, but this kind of popped in my head when we were talking about, uh, especially the shifts and how they can sometimes be small shifts as I'm always so curious and fascinated by the dynamics, especially the social dynamics on a, on a farm, like, um, like mature bucks moving in to an area after you kill one or just how that gets sorted out. You know what? I'll use Mike and I's farm as, a, as an example just because we, we're both very familiar with it. As Mike, you th- say we have seven or eight mature bucks on it last year probably, somewhere in that range? Yeah, for sure four plus. Yeah, um, and we took two mature bucks off it last year. So I, I'm very interested to see like how that's going to change where some of these deer core are up at. And, and you know, every property, I'm always fascinated by by how that kind of social status works and i'd be curious to get your thoughts bill too just on what what you saw on your your home farm over the years if you saw much difference in that bucks moving in after you killed one or just kind of how that dynamic played out it it didn't seem like they changed much on that farm um and i don't know if there was something specific to that property uh you know, like for example, if I had a nice buck that I was hunting and, and I didn't get him and he got a year older, almost always, uh, without exception, I found him back in the almost exact same area. And if anything, his range would compress a little. And, you know, once in a while you'd get those bucks that were just roamers, once in a great while. I'd say 75 plus percent of the bucks fit into that standard category that as they got older, they became more home bodies, their ranges got smaller, they stayed more and more killable, you know, as they got older. And then and you'd get the oddball that was just a roamer, like you couldn't hardly pin that deer down. And, you know, little by little, you start to figure out when you hunt these deer long enough, which ones are which. But uh, I felt like when I killed a deer out of an area, it didn't really see other deer move in as much as I saw maybe some of the bucks that were already there becoming more active you know, like fill in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah. that was fun because, you know, sometimes, the you, you know, the everybody thinks, oh, the buck with the biggest antlers is the dominant buck, but he's not always. So sometimes you'd kill out a management deer, quote unquote management deer. We hate that term because they're all trophies and they're all special, but it's just an easy way to kind of categorize them. But let's say you kill a buck that doesn't have big antlers, but he's a mature deer, very aggressive deer. And then that void kind of fills then with more activity from maybe another buck that wasn't as aggressive but had you know better genetics and i did see that quite a bit um, you'd see you'd see yeah. some changes in that way which was pretty cool um, but uh yeah yeah that 
they're, they're so they're so fascinating. I, I did have one, uh, one deer. That, well, I should I should parallel these two bucks. There was two deer that I killed in 2012. They were both seven years old, and they both started in the same part of the farm as four-year-olds when they first got on my radar. And every year, the one buck stayed in that exact area. He never moved. You know, his fall range never shifted. The other one, he moved about a quarter of a mile every year. And I was lucky because where he kept moving to stayed on my farm. You know, he could have moved a quarter of a mile and been gone. But it's just the coincidence that his quarter mile shifts stayed on my property. So even though he was moving every year, I kept track of him and was able to kill him as a seven-year-old in 2012. I killed them both in 2012 as seven-year-olds. And they displayed almost... Uh, not opposite, but very different characteristics with respect to, you know, where they, where they called home in the fall. Um, so that was pretty cool. So there are no uh, standard answers, I guess, with these things, you know. It's, but and that's know, in a, general, that's the beauty of it. I love that. Yeah, yeah, each, yeah. Each one. It's so fascinating. What what do you? It, it's obviously very very hard to pinpoint why that buck shifted about a quarter of a mile each year but what would be your gut feeling do you think it would have to do with some social factors or do you I, think it's just I, I just think some it's other just reason? I just think it's the way he's wired you know because the one that stayed because, <laughs> yeah that's what I think you know it's just I don't know why um, you know it because the one that stayed was a less dominant deer in my opinion, he was not an aggressive buck. So it's not like he was running him out, at least not that I could tell. I mean, who knows what happens in, in the night, you know, uh, when you're not, when you're not around, but, right. um, that, uh, right. so I, I didn't feel like there was like this, you know, this, this competition between those two bucks. So I don't know. Uh, I think it, it's kind of nice sometimes that we don't know. Um, because I think if we, if we knew mm-hmm. the answer to everything, it would take some of the adventure out of this stuff. Um, and, and, you know, trail cameras are awesome, and, and, you know, we can talk about, you know, lots of stuff about how to pattern deer and so forth, but sometimes it's fun when you get a surprise. You know, like you don't maybe have him just nailed right down to, you know, where he, where he sleeps and where he walks and all that stuff. You just have a general sense of which part of the property he lives in, you know. And then you go there and you hunt and he shows up and you're like, yeah. oh, man, you know, the adrenaline rush. Um because you hate to have so much information. That's why I'm not a big cell cam guy. Like some people are wired to their to their uh, cell phone all the time, looking at trying to see you know what buck is doing what, and it's like, gosh, I don't know if I want to know that much. Yeah, I I 100% agree. Yeah, about not even knowing anything on a property and just going in there and sitting and uh, waiting on a mature buck. But you know, Jared, that that question is very interesting to me because you know from a deer behavior standpoint you would think these mature bucks have their territories they work hard to stake their territories and then you kill them you're like all right it's probably a deer i got pictures of that's going to move in here but you know hopefully the one on the neighbor will move in here that i haven't seen very much and like our home farm last year we shot a, a four-year-old this this farm is 280 acres a four-year-old, two five-year-olds, and a six-year-old. I mean, four bucks off of that thing. And there's a lot of mature bucks right there. Um, it's been interesting. The first three years we owned the property, we didn't uh, shoot anything on it. So everything, there's not a lot of hunting pressure in the immediate vicinity. And it got all this upper age class. And I thought, well, that's, that's going to push some deer out. And I thought this year there'd be like a void. And uh, now I'm sort of like wondering if that one seven-year-old that I haven't killed yet, this like, "Quote unquote management buck, Big Mac. Is he just like staking the whole place? The whole, he's three hundred pounds. You know, is he just keeping everybody out of there? No, like that's the guy think, that needs to get shot. But, I think uh, I think word got word got spread that you guys killed killed that many bucks, and like we are not living here anymore. Yeah, <laughs> the girl's got an itchy trigger finger, man. <laughs> uh, the uh, but there is some truth to that. One down these. already this year. But, but there anyway. is some truth to that. Yeah, no, congratulations. That's that's really cool. Uh, I saw that. Was was Bella pretty fired up about that? She still is. Yeah, what are we? We're two weeks later, and uh, it's so fun as to watch her as a 10-year-old to tell the story. You know, we, we, we met another family not that long ago who has a 14-year-old boy who just shot, like, his first, like, good buck, and 
he wanted to tell her the story and he was all excited and she just reciprocated the same way like he was my book took three minutes to come in. She's like, mine took 37 minutes to come in. And mine's a six-year-old and mine's a five-year-old. And they were all just excited. And it's fun to see that excitement. I mean, I think there was a lot of anxiety with her this year. And it's something that was so fun once she overcame it. It's like pure elation. And uh, she just wants to do show and tell with the rack and everything. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. How, how, old, uh, how old is she? 10. So, oh, yeah, I think you said that. But... Okay, so how do you load up, you know, like that's a, a really good quick topic, but how do you load up the guns for, you know, especially girls that age? I mean, boys typically, they're a little bit more wired for that aggressiveness, but recoil <clears throat> and noise and all that stuff. I mean, our daughter got a little bit gun shy uh, probably about that time. Uh, what, what have you done to keep her from getting gun shy? Yeah, it's it's been a huge uh, discussion in my house, Bill. I mean... Because Bella shot her first deer when she was six, and I just took a muzzle loader and, and put the equivalent of what's like 50 grains of powder, and we were practicing with the 22, and so minimal noise, minimal kick, or no kick really, and then I I didn't really have her at that age shoot the muzzle loader in practice, like so we went live at the deer, and she was totally distracted by the deer, didn't even mention anything about the noise or the kick then the next year i'm thinking oh i got this figured out i can basically trick her with the excitement of the deer the next year she doesn't have the muzzle loader shouldered well and it got her and she immediately was startled and i thought "Ooh, i messed this up um she did not want to shoot a gun so when she was that was six age seven age eight she wouldn't do anything she wouldn't shoot the 22 i couldn't get her to shoot a crossbow i couldn't get her to she just didn't trust one, she didn't trust me, but she just didn't trust the weapon wasn't going to, like, hurt her. Uh, last year, we got her. I got her back on the crossbow, actually after getting her younger sisters to do it. And then this spring, we used a little Franke gas-powered uh, uh, 20-gauge for turkey season. And it was the same sort of thing. She was really, really anxious, and uh, but lots of discussion about, you know, how it works and it doesn't hurt. And, you know, I use two forms of ear protection, etc. And then this year we actually just, I, I asked everybody, they said, you get a 350 Legend. You know, it's a little, it's similar to like a 243. It's one of the smooth wall car cartridge rifles and um, doesn't have a lot of recoil. She actually shot it like 10 times in the yard, practicing, never said a thing. Then all of a sudden she just said, ooh, I'm scared to shoot it. It's like it came out of nowhere. She was thinking about the muzzle loader and, well, it's a touchy thing. It's a real touchy thing. And, like, I don't ever want her to feel like I'm forcing her to do it. But I think it's real easy at that age to get nervous. And we talked about, you know, I actually bought her an extra shoulder pad. And we, we, we she almost, she used, like, a little chant to sort of focus her mind and not let her mind wander right before the shot. So in turkey season, she would look down the barrel of the 20 gauge at the red dot and she would aim where the black meets the red. And so she would say, barrel red dot black meets red, barrel red dot black meets red. <laughs> and she like had this chant that would like help her focus. And uh, we actually used that in the blind. With the, It didn't make sense because we weren't shooting at a turkey. But I was like, well, same chant. It comes out kind of smooth. And uh, it worked really well to keep her mind focused and, and keep her breathing settled. And But it's been just a lot of just sort of mental manipulation and encouragement and uh, it's not been easy, and I don't know what to do with my other girls. I, I ask them if they want to, but if they don't want to, I'm not pushing them until they really want to because, you know, I want the hunting to be fun, and right now we can at least do the crossbow during late muzzleloader or, you know, that's legal in Iowa, and it's real easy for them. It doesn't make noise. It doesn't kick, but we can get out there and enjoy the sport of hunting, and as they get ready to get the gun, uh, get behind that gun, we'll do that. And Bella's showing interest in compound bows and so you know I'm, i want to get her in one of those here pretty soon and i think that'll be a lot of fun yeah the i'll tell you what the the coolest hunt i ever had and and it was on midwest whitetail and i don't know if you guys ever saw it but when our son he was nine years old and he he had a 24 pound bow compound bow in a uh like a two blade broadhead i think it was a phantom you know a cut to the point broadhead you know so he get maximum penetration he killed a year and a half old buck at about 10 yards, 12 yards with a 24 pound compound bow. And uh, that was the coolest 
I think to my, you know, compared to anything I've ever shot, that was the coolest moment. You know, his reaction, because the deer fell within sight, and, and people would have thought, oh, there's no way, you know, that, that that arrow killed that buck. But it fell, you know, within sight. So it was like, okay, yeah, I guess it did. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, so my point being, um, at least here in the state of Iowa, if you're careful with how you set up and shot placement, these young people can kill deer with a bow. Because um, Drew was able to do it with the 24-pound draw weight. It's just all about making sure you're getting penetration and making sure that your shots are close and that you're not shooting very much down at them. You're shooting more across at them so that the you know you have good access to the lungs. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, how old was Drew, Bill? Nine. Yeah, he was nine, nine. and uh, he's killed a few. Yeah, I, I remember that hunt. Yeah, he. My favorite was. Um, Afterwards, he was he was shivering in the in the stand, and he said, uh, mm-hmm. "I can't remember what he said, but it was like something about I'm so excited I can't stop shivering or something like that." And it was, you know, yeah, you, you, you didn't can't, know why or something. Yeah, it was. I mean, stuff like that, you know, that sticks with you. And I remember when that ran, I had a number of people send emails and said it brought a tear to their eye because they could remember their first hunt you know, or their first buck that they killed with their dad or whatever it was, you know, because it brought back all those memories. But, uh, you know, and I know that the youth hunts aren't that popular on, on Midwest Whitetail, which is unfortunate, but we did them anyway. Um, and, and we had a real mm-hmm. commitment to the to the youth hunting. And I felt like we got a lot of kids, like at the Iowa Deer Classic when we'd go there, and, and a lot of kids would come to the booth and uh, and talk about deer hunting with us and ask for autographs and it's because we showed those youth hunts. And, and I think it really encouraged the parents, too, to get their kids involved because they saw how important it was to us and how important it was to our kids, even though our viewership didn't reflect, you know, that overall value of that, of that type of video. Um, it served a great purpose. Yeah, and it was, it's, it's one of those things that you almost have to show just because, you know, we want to do our part in promoting it, but, but also – you know, I think we've, we've talked about this a lot and, and trying to figure out how we portray these so that more people do watch them because we it, it's an important uh, component for everyone. You know, it's our responsibility to grow the sport. And, and Mike and Bella and Rye did a really good job with this one of telling the overall story on Bella's hunt. And it wasn't just to go out and shoot it. There's all this stuff of, of overcoming her her fear of shooting and, and all that backstory and how much it took to get her to that point. And, and succeeding in that uh, so there's a really good story with that and that that's kind of where we want to focus is is making sure that there's a story and, and i think the more we can show that and that background info the more it's going to inspire people to to do the same thing with their kids and you know like like you said uh on, on jerusalem i remember watching that i still remember it even though it's been years since i've seen it um, and I, I can't wait for that day. I have a two-year-old, so I'm a little bit behind you guys, but I can't wait for that day to, to take my daughter out. You know, she, she shoots her little toy bow around the living room right now, but um, just watching those hunts and, and having been part of them before, you know, I can't wait for that day. Yeah, it's, it's really special to a parent, and, and I don't know how to necessarily portray those so that they're popular with the general viewership. You know, I think, like you said, to weave it into a story is important. Um, the one thing that I tried to do, and, and you know, it was probably a, a, a mistake in some ways, but I wanted the kids to carry the story and not me. You know, where the mm-hmm. it wasn't like, hey, you know, here's Drew. He's going to shoot a deer today. Boom, deer's dead. And it's like, oh, you know, this is the buck that blah, blah. You know, where I would jump in and, and just kind of lead that whole thing. I stayed out of it. You know, and, and I tried to be in the background as much mm-hmm. as I could and, and let the kids kind of tell their story. And uh, But it's really tough because they didn't like it. So that was the problem. You know, it worked really good for, I think, making yeah. a, a more interesting, you know, it made a more interesting video, but they, they didn't like um, having to be the, the lead role on those videos. Yeah. That's tough. That can probably vary to the kid, but it makes me talk to the camera. <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah it it got to the point where Drew would say, "Are we going to be are we going to be filming this?" You know, and, and if I said, "Yeah, we we do need to yeah. film it," you know, because 
And he would just say, well, I don't want to go. And I'm like, okay, well, then we're not going to film it. <laughs> you know, because to me it was <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. To me, it was more important to get him in the field with me than it was to produce another episode. But that was the downside of, of yeah. trying to make those youth hunts fun um, is because then it puts too much pressure on the kids. Oh, yeah. I Mike, think there's got to be a delay or something. But I was going to say, the, uh, the Mike, yeah. it's so cool, the comments on the videos. Um, you know, of all the, all the videos we post and all the comments, it is really fun to – go and read the ones on the youth hunts because there's a ton of that sentimental stuff like you were saying bill and people reminiscing and the tear to the eye stuff and uh i mean that's a that's a fun connection to have with the viewers yeah i think that you don't connect with as many people but you connect more intensely with the ones that you do uh let's talk a little bit about midwest whitetail now i mean i haven't done anything for over a year and uh you know i'm a fan now which is fun you know i enjoy uh, watching the episodes without having to worry about what we could have done differently or what we could have done better or whatever. But um, so, so what are your plans? Where are you guys at? You know, what, what do you see coming up for this year? Any, any changes in your style of, of production or the type of content you're going to produce? Um, what's, what's on the horizon for Midwest Whitetail? Yeah. So, you know, thing overall, things are going well. You know, I had uh, the, fortunate opportunity of being involved so long that you know this is my 12th year of being involved in middle whitetail so it's not like it was really new to me and i so i've been able to see the things that work and and know of certain things we don't want to change uh but with that being said there's also still a feeling out phase of being this involved in middle whitetail and you know constantly learning things and as you know bill you know how much work it takes to operate this so this time of year can be can be pretty stressful um just you're constantly thinking about things you should be changing or doing and you feel almost feel guilty getting out in the field because you you should be at the office in the office doing doing work so there's a lot to the business there's a lot of stuff that people don't see so we're you know feeling our way through that you know fortunately we have a good team of guys that are a part of it now and um that really helps take some of the pressure off of it but it's also a team of guys that don't have a ton of experience. So getting them up to speed, you know, they don't know what they don't know. So, you know, trying to, trying to do some of that, um, just in general, just having a lot of discussions of how we want to continue to grow the brand and, um, what types of things, you know, there's opportunities that come across the table all the time, but it's a lot of picking and choosing of where you have the time and resources to, to put into certain things, which ones make the most sense. Um, so, so there's just a lot of things on the horizon that I think that are going to be pretty fun. One of the, one of the most exciting things for me right now is the, the podcast we just launched. Um, we've, we've done two episodes now and it's the whole idea behind it is to kind of have a, uh, a deer camp feel, you know, it, you think about a deer camp and guys all go out hunting and they come back to the lodge or wherever and the first thing you do is talk about what you see. What would you see? You know, talk about the experience of that day's hunt. And that's the feel that we're trying to accomplish with this podcast, the Middle Swipe Till After Hours podcast, as we all get on the phone after we've all been out hunting right after the hunt and, and talk about what we saw. And, you know, the, I think people will enjoy, first of all, the near real time aspect of that and and seeing some of the raw behind the scenes stuff but also be able to draw comparisons to what they're seeing or you know maybe they're getting ready to go hunt the next day and and you know they can take something that we talk about maybe the bucks are starting to chase or hit scrapes or whatever it is and they can kind of apply that to their strategy in real time um so i'm excited about that i'm excited to you know get on the phone right after hunt and hear how everyone did and i, I think it'll be a really cool popular option and we're, we're partnered with Hoyt on it um so that's always a good thing but um that's probably the most exciting thing uh, that we have as far as a new change uh mike you can chime in too if you want yeah i second that i mean the the as far as you know midwest whitetail in general i think we're staying true to the the form of it and trying to make it educational and like jared said we've got a great team and uh just just going out and enjoying the woods and trying to bring it to the viewer. And as far as new stuff, you know, the podcast is really fun. And we've done a couple of them. And it's uh, it's a great concept that uh, Jared 
uh, came up with and I really uh, one of the reasons I enjoy hunting so much is the camaraderie and that discussion that fun and that friendship and that that podcast gives us even more of that because so so often we get in the grind of the season and we're just so focused on hunting and chasing these deer and filming it and and balancing family and th- those phone calls uh, those uh, zoom call podcasts are just uh, they're really fun so a uh, question for you on that uh, what is the format for that I, it's a hosted podcast right I, I saw I saw the two that you guys have published <clears throat> so give me a little bit more details about that podcast you know what the format is um, and, and then where people can view it but my my question is uh, I'm assuming that are you doing that a certain time each day is this a kind of a more or less live thing or is it edited and, and then run later kind of give us a little bit of a sense of it yeah so um, a, a buddy of mine Jason Science is, is kind of more or less playing the host role of this um he's uh one of our pro staffers now but he he's a a, a good communicator he's done podcasts in the past and, and so we kind of need someone to to a little bit facilitate the the conversation you know kind of keep everyone reined in because this is a shorter form podcast this is something that um i want to be very easily digestible for viewers something that they can literally tune in right right before they go to bed our goal is to have them uploaded that night um as close to real time as possible so it it is not a live version it is something where we record a zoom call so you know you there's a video component to it and we upload that video to our youtube channel but then we upload the audio version uh to almost anywhere you can listen to podcasts we're we're live right now on apple podcasts um iHeartRadio, spotify amazon uh, a lot of the bigger podcast platforms, um, you know, people like to just, you know, listen to that wherever. It's, it's a little more convenient than watching a video on YouTube. Uh, but also the video aspect is, is really popular, too. People, for some reason, like being able to watch someone talk as opposed to just listen. So we, we're offering both of those. Um, as far as the timing, some of it, like I said, our, our goal is to uh, have it upload by the end of the night. Um we we've been doing them actually recording them around 8 30 uh at night once we all get get back and settled in from our hunt but throughout the season i'm sure that'll change there's going to be times where you know maybe when we're hunting mornings evenings or you do one midday we're all at the tailgate of our truck or something grabbing lunch and we're recording and i want it to have a really raw feel and it's very real um so that's that's the thing that i like about it I, i hope it'll be popular because of that yeah, I think that format's a good one. You know, I thought about if I get back into media, you know, what what would I do? What would be relevant and uh, and not be so painful that, that, you know, as we've discussed many times, I mean, having a camera with you in the tree is, you know, that's not that much fun. <laughs> you know, but, but uh, you know, doing a, doing a podcast is kind of, yeah, you guys know that. We don't need to cover that that topic too much but um <laughs> the, the, cod, the pot podcast is kind of low intrusion you know you could do that self-filmed you could produce you know some pretty useful media on a couple different levels like what you guys are doing so i think what you're doing is what i would do if i was going to get back in you know to this kind of full-time sort of thing um i don't want to get back in yeah and it allows us to go ahead yeah, it it allows us too to bring on other guests. Like it could just because it's so easy to do. You know, we can bring in regional pro staffers that have a have a good story going on somewhere else in the country. We can bring in, you know, people like yourself or outside middle, you know, non middle white tail people that that want to contribute some content. So that that's the other beauty of it too. Is is it's it's very easy to kind of shake up who we have on there sharing their experience. You know, I, I think it's a really good idea. It's called uh, Midwest Whitetail After Hours, uh, sponsored by Hoyt, right? Correct. And uh, so people can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts, and you can watch it on the Midwest Whitetail YouTube channel. Um, okay, let's touch on – got a few minutes left. We try to hit an hour is what Evan said, an hour. And, and I'm getting hungry anyway, so I don't know about you guys, but 
Uh, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we, we, we need should, to hear. My wife just somehow should, kept the kids. Just, why, why didn't we just get together someplace at a restaurant and do this? That's what I kids? was going to say. Yeah. We're all, we do, we're all I drove right by your house, Bill. I know. You could have swung by your house to come to my poor internet. I could have just stopped at your house. We could be sitting at the grill. Out back right now, Mike, eating a... Yeah, I could be flipping burgers while you're talking with Jared. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny. I thought you were going to move. I thought you were building a house and doing all that stuff. Whatever happened? Yeah, we're going to. We're going to. It's just, uh, you know, um, material prices, COVID, uh, all all these things that have delayed us. But we still do plan to build on the home farm and move. It's just been a slow process. We've gone okay, so full circle on a bunch of stuff related to October. Uh, let's talk really quick about maybe some of the bucks that you guys let's feel like really you're going to be able to kill in the next couple, couple of weeks. You know, what, what are the storylines that are the most compelling for the viewers to uh, to get wired into on the next couple of weeks of Midwest Whitetail? What do you guys see coming? Get us kind of teed up. Go for it, Mike. I think you got, say it, Mike. Marino. <laughs> you got a better idea than I do. <laughs> yeah so, so, <laughs> for people that watch you know on jared and i's farm um we merino did show back up that was the the first hunt of the of that on that farm in 2017 we passed a buck you'll remember this bill we actually passed him a couple times under the stand that year <clears throat> saying well you know he might be five but he could be four so let's see what he does next year and we've never been able to get that deer since then and he's you know eight at least eight and a half maybe nine and a half and has his best rack and uh i'm not saying he's a likely one to kill but it's kind of cool that that story is still going and it'll it'll carry on on the on the river farm and um as far as on my home farm i have a great deer that we followed all summer he was in velvet in the alfalfa we'd film him almost every time we'd go out and he's not a homebody like in the center center of the farm he's kind of I think he's across the road a little bit and and comes on to me. I get his picture every four to five days, but he spent a lot of time in there last year uh, during the rut. And uh, and so, you know, I'm looking forward to the second half of October and chasing after that deer. It's a it's a big non typical deer and it'll be fun to get after him. He's a five and a half year old this year, so sometimes that's one of the harder years to get him. But uh, he'll be my primary target on the home farm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so, for, for me, it's – go ahead. No, I was just say go ahead, Jared, and, and bring us up to date on, on what you've got on the horizon. Yeah, the, the deer I'm most excited about right now that I have on camera would have to be Merino. Um, it's just such a cool story, like Mike mentioned. Literally half hour into our ownership of the property, um, this is our this will be our fifth season, fifth fall hunting the property, but – you know, way back in 2017, we met there to get our first hunt in a half hour into it. We passed this great buck, and it's like, you know, this is a, a great sign for the future. And it's so funny, like, little did we know this buck was going to haunt us for the next five years. <laughs> well, all, all uh, I know, but all I know, Jared, is, is that if, if, if I would have been the person that bought that farm, there wouldn't be any Merino story that would be ongoing. I definitely would have <laughs> shot him that first year when he walked past. I mean, he looked really, really I know, good. I know. My jaw still drops to this day every time I watch that, and the deer walks past the stand, and you guys let him go. I'm thinking, oh boy, these guys are really dedicated to something. I know. And the <laughs> the footage on November 17th, his body looked humongous, but we'd already passed him once, so it's like, well, we're gonna we're gonna keep passing him. But he walked up to me, I was like, that deer's not a four year old, you know. Well, we're not. You kill him, you'll be like, comments, dude. Yeah. Anyway. Not, you kill oh him, yeah, you're gonna like, kill him. He's gonna be like 25 years old or something like that, and you're gonna think, man, why didn't we kill him five years ago? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, dedicated or just just dumb, one of the two. I'm not not sure which one, but it is pretty cool. Like it, it, it's it. I joke about it, but it's pretty cool to have a story like that. You just don't get that very often. And then for a deer to you know that property, Mike and I hunt it pretty dang hard, um, and it's not a giant property by any means. And so for a deer to elude us for that long with with us hunting him that hard. That's pretty cool too. And granted, he just he doesn't live on the property. He doesn't. That makes it kind of hard to, to hunt him when he's not there. Um, but nevertheless, it's it's a cool story and one that 
you just don't get to experience very often with a single deer. So by default, that deer is at the top of my list. But if I was to make a list that was based on likelihood, he might be towards the bottom. Um, <laughs> but it'll, it'll be, a, be a fun one to fun one to chase. And uh, beyond that, you know, there's some deer that I'm very, very excited to see this year that just, again, like we talked about in the beginning, have not shown up yet. And there, there should be some some slammers that that will be around but i just don't know where they're at right now and i wish i could say i had a beat on on something just from a story standpoint just to get going and get after but that's just not the case and i'm sure a lot of people can relate to that um but yeah i'm a little bit of playing the waiting game right now and we talked about how good the octobers have been the last two years this one so far is shaping up to be more of a typical october where you might only get you know two good cold fronts throughout the the entire month two or three so just kind of playing the waiting game a little bit i know it's not super exciting but that's just the nature of of my situation right now so i think the takeaway you know as i'm wrapping this up uh, we need to focus especially this year because i think the cold fronts are going to be you know, obviously the second half of the month, because as I look at the extended forecast here, I don't see anything other than 70s and 80s in central Iowa and, uh, you know, different parts of the country that might be different. But here in the Midwest, it's going to be a warm first half of October. So we really need to keep our eyes peeled for that second half and and be really kind of honed in on thinking about, OK, where might this buck live, <clears throat> this one that I'm after, because when this finally does break and we do get that first really good cold front of October, I need to be pretty close to where I think that deer lives. So anything you can do, whether it's trail camera wise or just thinking back to where that deer lived last year at this time, um, those are the spots that we want to key on here over the next couple of weeks as we approach what we hope to be a couple of cold fronts in the second half of the month. Uh, And and I guess any thoughts you guys have relative to just kind of wrapping this thing up, you know, and tying a bow around it and, uh, you know, giving the listener something that they can, you know, they can get some value from, um, you know, go ahead and chime in. And then after you've each had a crack at it, I'm going to close it up. Yeah. <clears throat> One thing, well, I've enjoyed the conversation. Um, I think this has been fun. One thing I'd maybe give as a, a closing statement related to the, the October hunting is obviously it depends on what your goals are and, and the reason you hunt and everything. I don't, I know a lot of probably listeners are, are similar to us as, as hardcore guys going after mature bucks, but one thing I would caution or give advice on too is don't forget to enjoy it and have fun. There are definitely days where I'm like, why am I sitting out just waiting on better hunting conditions when I could be in a tree just enjoying hunting? So, you know, really think about <clears throat> what you're trying to do. Yeah, if your goal is to kill a mature buck and you don't care how miserable that process can be you know then yeah be smart until you get the right conditions but don't don't forget just to have fun because october can be a really fun time to be in a tree and just watch everything changing and and all that so i guess that's what i would leave people with is is don't forget to keep it fun and don't think you have to absolutely stay out of the woods this time of year yeah well said i couldn't agree more i often talk about uh tree therapy you know we work pretty hard and life is stressful and and uh it's hard not to want to just go sit out and just you know watch the birds fly around and uh, (laughs) enjoy wildlife and time out in the woods um one thing we didn't talk about very much is kind of the moon and the effects of the moon in october and the rut and all that but and I, i shouldn't really dive into that but um it's uh as far as this year goes yeah you know we got one i think coming october 14th or 16th the low is going to be in the 40s and the high in the 60s and then you know we don't there's really nothing else in the in the 15 day forecast but one thing that um i often you know see patterns of is like i try to look back at last year's photos and if i had a deer a mature buck active on certain days particularly in that rut that pre-rut time frame that can be good information to act on. So, you know, like you mentioned, knowing where they like to show up or their areas they normally uh, spend the rut, you know, and then if you have pictures of them in previous years, that that can be also helpful. You know, we're just gonna um, get excited to get going here and hopefully catch up with some of these bucks. Yeah, nope, that's that's awesome. Thanks guys. And, and uh, 
why don't you hang on after I hang up here and close out the podcast and we'll say our goodbyes. But uh, I know I appreciate it and I'm sure that the the listeners to the podcast really appreciate all the information that that you guys have to offer. And really, you know, all you have to do is watch Midwest Whitetail every week, watch the daily video blogs, watch the After Hours uh, podcast, and you're going to get all the information that you need to uh, pull the pieces together. These guys are really good at teaching, you know, the process of, of how to hunt and how to enjoy hunting these big whitetails. So um, anyway, that's that's it for today's podcast. And, and uh, you know, thanks, Jared, and thanks, Mike, for joining us. And uh, good luck this season. I'm sure we'll be keeping up with you on the show. Thanks, Bill. We appreciate thanks it. Thanks a lot, Bill. Thanks.